Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Super pumped to be out here with you all today. My friends, today we're going to be talking with my boy, Daryl Stinson. He and I are going to talk a lot about mental health. Uh, He's a former D1 athlete. I'll tell you about him in a little bit, but I'm super excited to bring him out here in just a minute. But friends, before I do that, uh, I just wanted to reach out and let you know that it would be really special if you could just share this podcast with another couple of people. If there's somebody who think that could hear this message, Daryl's message, uh, feel free to pass it on. He's an extremely powerful man uh, with a great story and an incredible way of telling it as well. There's some people who are just terrible storytellers. Daryl's not one of them. Uh, but so feel free to share this with a couple of individuals because the conversation of mental health is one that we need to continue to move to the forefront so that it's not just kept away in closets and in dark spaces where people feel ashamed to talk about it. So super grateful that Daryl's here. Let's bring him out here. My friend Daryl Stinson is a former D1 athlete. He's an author, the two-time TEDx speaker, and the founder of Second Chance Athletes. He wrote his book, Who Am I After Sports? It came out in November of last year, and y'all need to check it out because it's fire. Daryl uses his experience to help heart-centered leaders find their unique leadership style and strength that align with their highest purpose. He's mentored and taught athletes, entrepreneurs, religious and business leaders, youth groups, and many more. He's an incredible human being who's got a wife and three daughters, a proud girl dad, and I'm excited to get to know him even better and for y'all to get to know him as well. Let's bring it out right now. My man, Daryl Stinson. What up, dude? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? How you doing? Good to see you, man. Good to see you. I'm excited to be here with you. Man, I am ecstatic, and um, I love the energy. (laughs) I'm just going to bring you with me everywhere that I go to intro me you know i i am available for hire so let's go the only thing the only critique i have is i would prefer smoke machines Mm. so figure that out and it's even better that sounds good that sounds good yeah no for sure yeah coming out yeah (laughs) get you that feeling put you back like you're running out through the tunnel again uh i love that we got darude sandstorm under everything we're gonna light it up (laughs) yeah 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 Daryl, you are hanging out down in the Atlanta area right now. I'm a big fan of the Atlanta area. I went to Clemson for graduate school, so I spent some time down in the South. Uh, And, you know, you're hanging out in the diner right now. Diner Talks with James. uh, And I'm a huge fan of late night eating. And, you know, I went to school, spent seven years in the South going to school down there. And ate a lot of food late at night, right? This is a lot of great opportunities. And uh, Waffle House is one of my favorite places. And so I'm I'm curious for you, is there a a late night move that you particularly enjoy? Yes, there is a late night. There is a lunch move, and it's called hibachi. 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 uh, I think it's like Nagano, and it's like walking distance from my house in Grayson. And uh, I can literally eat it like three times a day if I want. It is phenomenal. They have the lunch special, you can get like a steak lunch for like 11 bucks and chicken for like eight or nine. Mm. 
And then dinner, it's like triple, but it's still worth it. And I love it. So if you are in this area of freaking just drive, because it's the most, it's not, people go, oh, you you can get this hibachi and this hibachi. Like, you like hibachi? I'm like, no, it's Nagano hibachi. Dude. You know, like, like not any hibachi. It's that hibachi place is like the best. Yeah. Okay. Now, first off, I love hibachi. I'm here for the volcano trick every time. It gets me every time. It makes me smile. Uh, (laughs) Now, uh, so I'm wondering for you, you know, there's often two sauces. You get the ginger sauce or the yum yum or the shrimp sauce, depending on what it's called. What, what's your move? What, which one of those are you going with? Well, I know this shirt makes me look a little fit, but you saw the belly, you will understand that it's yum yum over ginger. So I'm yum yum sauce. In fact, my order, they have it memorized, by the way. I call and I say, I want a steak dinner. I want it medium. I want double yum yum, no, no ginger, no ginger. Double yum yum, no ginger. That's perfect. Double yum yum is actually my stripper name. So that's perfect. <laughs> and that would work for you. <laughs> That will work for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'd have to be like dark chocolate or something. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's Which, awesome. by the way, I said that in church once, and it was – I don't think they thought it was as funny. <laughs> that joke didn't land? I mean, it was like mixed crowd, you know? Like yeah. like the, the, the people who were not so religious were like, ha, ah, that's hilarious. And the people that were were like, did he just say that in church? And like, yeah, I guess I did. I guess I did. Here's I also the thing introduced that- our, our, our candy box when we were raising candy donations for Halloween for an event we have as a big sexy box. And I guess I guess sexy isn't a great word you should say in church. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so between me being dark chocolate thunder and calling the box sexy. And uh, yeah, man, I just think it's crazy. <laughs> you, 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 you've created a house that's divided now. But here's here's what we know about... Uh, that one piece of the population that didn't laugh at that joke inside. They were laughing a lot. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, for sure. They're they're putting on airs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or they went home and smoked cigars. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, they did something hypocritical quickly. Um, (laughs) Daryl, now are you born and raised in Georgia? No, man. I am uh, born and raised in Africa. No, I'm just kidding. I wasn't. Okay. I can pass for okay. that. I got to <laughs> stop lying in public. Um, <laughs> I, I was born in Jackson, Michigan. It's about an hour and a half west of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know where that's at? I know where Detroit is. I don't know where Jackson is. Okay. Do you know Tony Dungy? I do. Okay. He and I are the only famous people from there. There you go. Shout out there to Jackson, go. Michigan. Yes, thank you. Thank you for responding to that without a laugh. I, I Every time I do that, I gauge my popularity. If people laugh, it means that they think he's famous and I'm obviously not as important. Yeah. But you just kept a straight face. Daryl, I got your back, man. You, thank you, you. you. You just brought me on as your hype man. What, am I going to start knocking you down now? Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't I need a, at least, not, not for the next 20 minutes at least, man. Let me get to know you better. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Shout out to Tony Dungy, longtime listener here at the diner. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the fact that you grew up in Michigan is great. Now, are you, are you a typical Michigander? Whenever anybody asks you where you're from in Michigan, you put your hand up? 
No, I'll tell you two quick things. Number one, I went to Central Michigan University, so we're anti. Fire up chips. Thank you. So we're anti state and anti Grand Valley and anti Michigan. So don't like either of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't support their teams, except for secretly. Um, sorry, Chippewas, but I do, I do support uh, Michigan State in the uh, basketball tournament just because Samu never makes it so that's all if we were in there there would be no Michigan State but anyways and Izzo is just Izzo is just a beast over there yeah yeah Izzo's it's I have some crazy Izzo Izzo stories but um I I was going what what was the original question I was going somewhere important with this (laughs) do you when are you a typical Michigan oh okay okay thank you thank you so so yeah when I moved from Michigan to Georgia in 2017 I immediately jumped ship of all the hometown teams so like Tigers uh, Lions like whatever else uh uh Red Wings I was like nope switching all the Atlanta teams not committed to any of it been waiting to switch teams since I was born like you know just just I I jumped and I did a social media video about how I jumped ship immediately and I had on a Atlanta Falcons shirt and I and that was the year they won the Super Bowl (laughs) (laughs) so it was like perfect like Lions been losing all my life and I come down here and we won a Super Bowl you know like (laughs) I made the right decision, you know. <laughs> you really did. What you you did is you predicted the market before uh, before exactly. everyone else did. Uh, that is that's a bold move to just completely abandon all of your teams. It's just, is it because the Lions hurt you for so many years? Is it because the Tigers haven't really done much, give or take Price Fielder? Like what? Like what was it? All of the above. Okay, you know, great. It, it's just, it's just, I don't know, man. It, number one, it was a faith move. I felt like that was what I was being led to do. Uh, but also, I don't know, man. When I got down here, I always say this: I miss the people on mm-hmm. Michigan. Yeah, uh, like my family. But I don't miss the, the. There's a, like a lot of lo- limited thinking people. Mm. And um, obviously, not everybody in Michigan is limited thinking, but where I was at and who I was around, everybody just t- talked to you about how you can't. And I feel like down here in a city, I mean, I've, when I moved down here, they told me it was called the land of Oz because whatever you want, your wish and your dreams will come true. So I found that to be that there's a, a little bit more opportunity here. Um, you know, bigger city, uh, access to things, growing population, all those, all those great perks. And so... I'm happy about it, man. Are you going to move over here? That's great. Yeah, I'm coming over. Yeah. Yeah. You got room in the the crib? Can I come through? (laughs) I mean, we'll find a space, man. We'll figure it out. Uh, I do. I do love. I do love VA for sure. I uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because, um, you know, obviously Georgia's got a few things going on in the news lately uh, that would would potentially uh, go against what you were just sharing. But I do really appreciate what you said is that cities are really uh, hotbeds of opportunity. Um, And there is a lot of opportunity for growth as opposed to, you know, growing up in a, um, in in a small town in in Michigan or whatnot, uh, mm-hmm. there, I can I can definitely see uh, the futurist mindset, the opportunity mindset that a place like Atlanta would bring, especially because Atlanta's growing so fast. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. for sure. For sure. People people want to move here, and people were moving away from Michigan. So that, I mean, that says it all. <laughs> like, and then the weather. Don't even get me started on the weather. So I, I don't miss winters at all. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> you'll be proud of me to know that I just moved to Minnesota. So the opposite of what yeah. you did, basically. Yeah, yeah proud <laughs> of you and sorry for you. So, <laughs> so, so uh, Daryl, you grew up in, uh, in Jackson, Michigan. Uh, when did football when did football become the dream? Well, it was more sports than it was football specifically. Okay. Um, but, and honestly, to be completely transparent, football was never the dream as it was star athlete, best athlete of all time. Okay, sure. So I get like Michael Jordan gets like that title for basketball, but I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Um, like when people think Michael Jordan, like when we go, who's the greatest athlete of all time? His name is going to come up and – within five names easy right mm -hmm. and like that's how i wanted to be like i wanted to be like who's the best athlete of all time I'm like oh daryl duh so i didn't really care if it was like coin flipping like back flipping like i don't know why i'm on flipping but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh football basketball basket weaving i really didn't care i just wanted to be known as the top competitor in the world and um, I think the, the the age was probably like when it really started picking up was about seventh, eighth grade. Okay. So around seventh, eighth grade, I started to kind of, you know, kept my, my, I was always tall. So I've always played, but I was very uncoordinated. Mm. And then my coordination started to catch up with my height. Like I never forget, like gathering my steps in the eighth grade and finally being able to dunk. And I was like, okay something's happening here. Like the, the legs aren't wobbly anymore. Like they're starting, Hey, it did what my brain wanted it to do. And then, uh, it kind of just picked up from there. Yeah. That's good. You dunked in eighth grade. I did. Yeah. And my it may man. have even been seventh, but just, just so I'm not that guy who's 40 time keeps getting faster. I'll just say eighth. <laughs> <laughs> How big was that fish that you caught? Um, you yeah. know, 40 feet. <laughs> you know? The, uh, that's incredible. So, what was it about being the greatest athlete? Like, why? Why was that? Why was that the goal? Well, uh, it it validated my insecurity. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I talk about in my TEDx talk, overcoming rejection, that I got teased for being a black kid that quote unquote talks and acts white when I was younger, and sports became the vehicle that enabled me not have to choose between the social divide in my community. So people didn't care if I was going to the basement party or the bonfire because all they wanted to know about was me playing sports. So number one, it gave me like affirmation from other people because mm. uh, they liked me for my athletic ability, even if they didn't think I was the coolest person to hang around. Uh, the second thing is the financial op options. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about career paths. So I was like, Huh, starting salary as a salesman and starting salary as a professional athlete. I think I choose professional athletics, you know. Um, and then uh, my father played Division One football, and he was a freak of nature. And uh, he got hurt to an injury. So kind of like wanting to finish what father started mm. was definitely a driving motive, um, uh, factor for me. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and I think just pride. You know, I, I wanted to be – I think when – anytime you're oppressed, oftentimes the oppressed becomes the oppressor. And any uh, – another way to say that is, like, hurt people hurt people. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was a part of me that had this chip on my shoulder. Like, when I get rich and famous and successful, everyone's going to pay. <laughs> you know, like, I can't wait to drive in my – you know, red Ferrari 
across somebody who like teased me when I was a kid on their same porch that they grew up on mm. and just flatten it because I can. You know, like <laughs> I have weird things that go in my head. Like, like I'm a competitor. So like, hey, how's life? You know, my Ferrari when clearly their life is in the same place. So I wanted to like not just like make like accept like have this gap between me and them be this big. I wanted it to be like so night and day difference that I can just look at them and make them feel bad about their life. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way now. So if anybody's like, this dude is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my heart has changed. I'm a new person. I have new motivations and passions, but that was a big driving force growing up. Yeah. For those of you uh, not uh, not watching this on YouTube, uh, Daryl's sitting in a Ferrari right now um, while he says this. So no. <laughs> yeah. Feel bad about your life. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Uh, but what you just said is powerful, uh, right? I mean, hurt people, hurt people. Uh, and, and the way that you put it is, uh, is strong. When you think about the motivation of someone who becomes a, an elite athlete, uh, there's so many different sparks that could generate that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that anger, that, that fire, that whatever you want to call it, the passion. Right. Um, and, uh, and I, I appreciate the self-awareness around yours. Do you think back then that's something can adult Daryl can reflect on that? Do you think did seven-year-old Daryl, was that what seven-year-old Daryl, not seven, excuse me, seventh grade, eighth grade Daryl was also thinking? Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I can probably articulate it a little bit better now because uh, I'm a speaker. So I kind of got more, I know how to like say words. But that's exactly what he was thinking. Like yeah, <laughs> he was yeah. like pretty driven, and and I've always been a smart kid. So like yeah, I was on the I was on a mission to like like I don't know dominate the planet and get my way and be a hero. You mm-hmm. know, like I mean the the heart side of it that wasn't evil was you know I I, I wanted to get my whole family out of poverty. Yeah, I always I always tell people I wanted to get my mom a, a house and get my dad a car, and then I was saying that on like podcasts and stuff, and they were like, well. What, what did dad do wrong to get a car and not a house? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I just always had that in my mind. I don't think I was thinking about dollar amount. I was just like, hey, dad, here's a car. Mom, here's a house type of thing. Yeah. Um, who knows? <laughs> but anyways, that I, I did want to help my family um, get out of poverty. So that was a, a good motivation. Yeah. A huge driver. Yeah. For sure. So you wind up uh, – you want to play in a bunch of sports yeah. um, in, in middle school, high school, and then you want to go in D1 um, and you played, you played football, correct? I did yeah, play football. football. Yeah. Uh, what position did you play? Played defensive end. Defensive end. That's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, most dangerous yeah. position on earth. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> With the wink. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> Uh, the wink behind the nerdy glasses is the best part of it too. It's true. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, so when you're in college and you're a successful D1 athlete, uh, what what happens during that that time? At some point, you are uh, you're starting to get recruited. You're starting to get looked at and stuff like that. And then uh, the the game shifts a little bit for you. Mm, depends on who you are. So uh, the thing about any type of mindset uh, is 
when you go there, and a lot of people <clears throat> fail when they get into uh, new environments because it's the first time they've ever been there. Mm-hmm. When I got to college, it wasn't the first time I had been there. I had already been there in my mind. Mm-hmm. So nothing changed. Uh, in fact, one of the things I used to say to people, um, even in college, but in high school, when they used to complain about workouts, I'd be like, don't you want to play in college? Don't you want to be a pro? Do you think that a pro athlete or a college athlete would complain about this workout? The answer is always no. Then why are you? You know, that was always my, my mentality. So, you know, cool story. So I get I get to CMU, right? And there's the the where it's our first workout. We come in uh, to call, what's called Crucible Week, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, just think about what that means. Like, our coaches are sick, you know, like, the, this is the week you die. You know, like, it's called Crucible Week. They make you do all these workouts. And so we come in and I mean, we're doing these workouts and we get to this particular one. And the goal is, and I, and I might get the numbers wrong, but the story's still the same. The goal is to run 25, 110 yard sprints. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to die. So uh, <laughs> they were going to let the underclassmen, so all the freshmen just probably run about 10 or 11. Okay. And then the, Everybody else who has been conditioning for a while, they had to make the 25. And you got a certain amount of time to complete it all. So we get to 11 or 12. And they're like, all right, freshmen, call it in, go stretch, whatever, while we still continue to, you know, crucify <laughs> the rest of the team. And and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to I'm gonna turn it in while my team's running. Like, there's no way. And the other freshmen are like, we're dying. <laughs> you know, there's no way I'm not. And I'm like, no, we're. I'm I'm doing this and I, oh you want to do this you know yeah I'm like yeah like let's go like I'm I'm ready yeah and there's probably about three or four other guys who joined me, and then they 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 mudded us and we ran the 25 sprints and we ran the 25 sprints but the problem was that the freshmen were running just as much as the upperclassmen so then the upperclassmen got competitive and said well whoa we're not finishing we're not gonna let these uh, freshmen outdo us so then they ran more I mean typical scene like a movie scene. <laughs> So then they run and they're like, we're not quitting. And then we run and then like, so we we end up doing 51 110 yard sprints. Oh my god. And you gotta think, the coaches are like, I mean, like I, I was gonna say something inappropriate, but the coaches you're allowed to curse in here. <laughs> it wasn't cursing, it was like sexual. anyway. The coaches are like, like so happy right? you know like they are so excited because this is like every coach's dream that their players work this hard right mm-hmm. and so we did it and it was like this big rob moment we're bonded but like that was my mentality so i came in and immediately elevated the team uh as a freshman yeah. where um you know a lot of people some people's experience where they get in college and they realize hey man you were the best of the best in high school. Now you're kind of like the bottom of the best, you know, and I came and I'm like, no, I'm the best of the best. Still. Yeah. And so that was my mentality. <laughs> that is uh, that tenacity is incredible. Yeah. Is that, is that tenacity something that, uh, is that something that you were, was that something your father passed on to you or was just life circumstances growing up the way that you did? Like, or like, have you, have you always kind of had that fire? Like even when you were, I don't know, a, a little kid playing with like a toy race car, was that like the fastest race car? Was it going, like, I mean, like, <laughs> like was that tenacity something that is like truly built into you or something that was learned? It was something that was forced upon me. So mm-hmm. learn, yes. 
Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I learned young that life wasn't fair just because I wanted it to be. And that made me angry. And so when I would get picked on or uh, I remember being forced in situations where I would have to fight, even though I didn't want to fight, uh, just these these situations that you're like, the only way for me to get out of this is to fight through it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of developed. And, you know, even even being poor, like to have to work harder to. You know, I remember um, having a caddy job and I had to all I had was a bike and I had to ride it like across like the entire town just to get to the golf course. You know, the hood is a lot far. (laughs) It's very far away from the golf course. And so just stuff like that and um, and being frustrated and even and even like. uh, um, I don't know, man, It, it, it I just felt like I was always having to fight harder for what I wanted out of life, you know, even in relationships. And so that developed this, this chip on my shoulder that, that that's where that came from. So I learned it, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. yeah. Um, We grew up differently. Uh, One similarity I didn't expect to find though, is that we were both caddies. Um, And so (laughs) shout out, shout out to that. There you go. Money from the wealthy. I would still do caddying, and, and and when I did it in high school, it was the best thing ever because I was I was a high school star or whatever. So mm-hmm. they loved they tipping me, tipping me, tipping. Me. I'm like, yeah, tip me, man. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the easiest thing ever. I sit on your golf cart, I eat your food, drink your drink, and like <laughs> you just tip me more and more money. And the more you drink, the better I get. So I'm like, this is awesome. I would caddy now. Like I liked it. It was very fun for me. It was great shaking hands, kissing babies, uh, and uh, yeah. I mean, and it's good money too. I caddied. I grew up in New York, and I caddied out in the Hamptons. Um, yeah. And uh, it's 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 good money. I mean, you also you also learn about some uh, some jerks for sure, and some people that uh, the, they think the money made them, um, yeah. and the way they act and treat you is different. Uh, but at the same time, you know that that check still cashed whenever I went to the bank. That cash still worked whenever I went yeah. to McDonald's, um, and so it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So you have this crazy tenacity um, and, and you rile up the, uh, the team as, as a first year, uh, as a first year student. And, uh, and then, and then you had this football career, uh, but then you hurt yourself. Yes. What, what happened there? Something happened to your back. I, I don't know the story. I'm sorry. Dang, my feelings are extremely crushed right now. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody knew about me. No. <laughs> uh, freshman year, you know, so my coaches, um, put me on pass rush packages because I was fast as crap and um um and they could use me on third down. So they tra- I traveled with the team and then uh one particular workout I'm trying to impress the upperclassmen with how strong I am still being competitive and I'm squatting and I come up like kind of wrong and I hurt something I'm like how oh, it kind of hurt. So I said it, you know, kind of shook it off, you know, don't don't let anybody see weakness. And um I knew some. I knew I did something, but I didn't know the difference between being hurt and being injured. So mm-hmm. I was just like, "I'm tough it out, play through it." Long story short, I go this whole summer, and one day, um, you know, lots of pain, therapy, all this stuff. But one day, I look over in my left leg. I just slapped it, and it was complete jello. Like it was like no muscle, and my right leg was like rock hard muscle. And I was like, "Something's not right." Like, and I saw so I went, and then they were like, 
boom, got an MRI, uh, found out I had a pinched nerve. My left leg was going to actually go paralyzed. And so, like, I had to have emergency surgery or else my left leg was going to be paralyzed. And so I had this surgery. Coaches were like, dude, like, you were honoring your scholarship. You have a ticket to, you know, come around the f- team whenever you want. And then, obviously, you know, you still get a full-ride scholarship. So it's, like, ideal for you, man. And I'm like, no, sports is not what I do. Sports is who I am. So, like, there's no way I'm not coming back. And so, um, you know, to to sum up a very long story, uh, I was supposed to take um, – I wasn't supposed to walk more than a mile within uh, six months of my surgery. I was starting within six months of my surgery. <laughs> so I had to beg the coaches to let me play. I signed a liability waiver so they weren't liable for my injury or death, and I was back on the field starting. Just Within like six months of a of severely a print. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have had, uh, I've had a herniated disc a couple times, like L4, L5. Um, and I've had the, the sciatica pain and I've had the numbness in my feet. I've had numbness uh, and, and stuff like that. And first off, back pain is no joke. If you've never experienced it, uh, don't, I don't recommend it. 10, 10 out of 10 would not recommend to anybody. Um, but that is insane. Uh, I'm actually currently recovering from a herniated disc. And the doctor told me like, yeah, you won't be fully recovered for at least six months. Um, oh. and, you know, I'm still doing PT and stuff like that and, and right. whatnot throughout. Um, and have been slowly been able to get back to my, uh, my regularly, my regularly scheduled program of life. Um, but uh, that is insane that you were back. Not just, not just practicing, but like playing starting. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that's crazy. What happened after that? I, I broke myself. Like <laughs> I just, I always say it this way. <clears throat> I started for two years and I did so at a cost of my mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health. So I ended up getting addicted to opioids. <clears throat> I was going to chiropractic appointments, uh, seven days a week, physical therapy, seven days a week, sometimes twice a day. I was doing epidural shots in my back, uh, manipulating the healthcare system, getting uh, multiple epidural shots. I was getting acupuncture, nerve killings, anything that I can do to continue to numb my pain. Excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> apparently, my voice is going out. <laughs> anything I can do to continue to numb my pain to continue to play the game of football. And, um, you know, it worked for the most part, started, but like, um, man, uh, I got addicted to opioids. Mm. I started selling drugs all throughout the state of Michigan because that's how I paid for my medical expenses. So I had uh, PPO insurance, which only accepts a certain amount of doctors. Mount Pleasant's in the middle of nowhere. And so I couldn't find a doctor that would set my insurance within uh, a driving distance of the university. So I just paid out of pocket. So, yeah, um, so I'm doing all of this and um, I, I start to develop this addiction to this drugs. You know, anytime you need you use drugs to numb uh, pain or feeling or sensation for other mm-hmm. stuff that you're dealing with, you know, it's an addiction. I didn't know it then. I know it now. And so uh, I was um, taking these so many opioid pills that they were thinning my blood to the point where every time I made contact on the field, my nose would bleed. And Whoa. coaches saw that, like, oh, man, this guy's having nosebleeds. He's got to leave practice. He's getting nose plugs. Like, what's going on? And then, um, you know, I'm just like, oh, man, I don't know, coaches, allergies, allergies. You know, I don't know, man, allergies or whatever. So a- after a while, I realized it wasn't allergies. You know, like, this guy's yeah. doing something that we don't know about. And and I was – it was starting to get, like, like, I could always push through and perform, but my performance was kind of starting to sink. 
Um, you could tell something was wrong. You could literally see from the film I'm running and I'm limping, but I'm just so I'm just so freaking talented that it's it's <laughs> like limp all the way you want, make the play. You know? Yeah, and yeah, so, right. And, and so you start to see, it and then they're like, "Man, you know, we we can watch this happen, man. We gotta let this guy go." So uh, they 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 kind of stopped playing me towards the end of my um, uh, junior season. Like, you know, I got less and less time, and I'm frustrated. Like, put me in, coach. And then um, finally, at the end of that season, they told me, like, man, we can't let you play on, man. We tried to let you finish out the season just, you know, and I, I got pissed. I felt like they quit on me. I felt like, uh, you know, they weren't they weren't doing all that they could. I stormed out, probably flipped over a table or something. Like, I was super pissed. And um, then I started to go through this depression. Like, what do I do now? You know, like – like, could I be good at something else and successful at anything else? Like, yeah, probably. But I don't want anything else. Right. I want this. This is what I was created for. This is this is my natural gifts. This is my talent. You know, people be like, well, you're a leader. You, you're great at sales. And I'm like, like, I don't love that. Like, I love this sport. I want to do this. And so, you know, I still tried and I was going to prove them wrong. And I was just going to show up at the combine and like blow everybody out the water and like, I was jacked. Like, I mean, I remember like trying to work out and like having spasms. You know, one of my teammates, you know, caught me trying to work out in the gym. He had to carry me to the hospital. Like this whole thing was like a wrestling. And then all while this is going on, I'm like getting more and more suicidal. Like I'm thinking about like quitting. If like if this is gonna be my life, I don't want to live this. My my future is gonna be unfulfilling, right? And for me, it was that I lost sports. For people watching or listening, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. It could be a girlfriend you lost. It could be a sales quota that you're not meeting. It could be whatever is just causing you pressure or pain in life. And I had that that thought that <clears throat> this isn't my future isn't fulfilling, so I might as well not live out that unfulfillment. And started making all these micro attempts. I say micro attempts, but you know, all attempts are serious at, at suicide. And so, you know, started mixing my pills with alcohol. I would drink a whole fifth, hoping that a car accident would get it all. And, you know, uh, kind of went from there. Let me pause and uh, let you chime in before I get into story mode. Nah, you good. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, I, I, I was in it. Um, and uh, yeah, so so no worries. No need to pause. Uh, I guess uh, to, to keep the story going, one question that I had is, so at this point, you are still, now you're out of college. Are you still, um, you're still addicted to the opioids at this point as well while you're doing all this, correct? <sighs> yeah, for me, this is my, <clears throat> so uh, research will, will show you that addiction is an allergy. Um, and so I'm not trying to minimize people who actually know what they're talking about, (laughs) but my philosophy is that addiction oftentimes is a symptom. It's never the source. Mm -hmm. So while people might say I'm an addict, typically what I find is, Hey, you're, you're really not an addict. You're really very wounded. Mm. Like you're really abandoned. You're really a victim of trauma. So like, like don't just abstain from drugs forgive the person who hurt you you know what i'm saying so there's a different strategy but depending upon the label that you call it that you label yourself with so for me like yeah i'm still quote unquote addicted but more than that i'm insecure unfulfilled um and i have a lot of self-hatred okay 
And so that that's what was going on. Um, at the same time, I had the, my like my saving grace during that time was this girl that I was dating. Uh, her and I were dating for four and a half years. She's my high school sweetheart. I mean, all the little cute stuff you do as couples, we did. We picked out kid's name, wrote my last name in cursive next to her first name. We did all that cute stuff. And in the middle of this, um, one day I'm sitting in a car and I'm like, I'm really contemplating suicide. And I pick up the phone and I call her. I'm like, yo, baby, where you at? Like, I really need help. I, like, come be with me. Like, I need you. And she's like, you know, it's okay. It's okay, Daryl. Like, you're going to be all right. And like, she's talking to me like I'm a kid. I'm like, what is going yeah. on? She always calls me babe. Well, I hang up the phone. I'm pissed. I start calling around. Yo, what's up with her? What's up with her? Where she was at? Blah, 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 blah. Come to find out. She had left me and got engaged to another man. Whoa. This validated my insecurity that who I was wasn't enough to be liked or loved by others. And that people only liked me and loved me because of my athletic career. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that was it for me. Like that was when I really started. So I started, I tried to starve myself to death. I went from 275 pounds to 219 pounds in four weeks. And I sat in a blue dot stratus uh, with tears running down my face. And I wrote my suicide letter saying goodbye to everyone I love. Uh, this was the day that I was going to do it for real, for real. Um, <clears throat> I, I was drinking a fifth of alcohol while smoking a blunt and I finished all that stuff. And while I'm high out of my mind, I grab my steering wheel and I start flooring it heading 75 miles per hour down a, down a 35 mile per hour road. And I'm racing and this is it. I'm going to, my plan is to drive off of this bridge onto an intersecting highway and end it all. And in the middle of me doing this, uh, don't know how to this day, my mother calls me and she had a mother's intuition mm-hmm. and she said, I don't know what's going on with you, baby. I don't know where you at, but I just like, she's crying. She's like, I need you to come be with me. I want to get you help. Wow. And my mother convinced me to come see her. And then she admitted me into the psychiatric care unit. And that's where my life changed. Wow. Shout out to mom. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That's some that's some serious mother's intuition. Yeah, right in that moment. And the crazy part about it is my phone's on silent. Yeah. So I just seen it light up. At first, I thought it was the girl. Yeah. So I flipped over. I saw his mom, and then I just you know I had swiped it open, and she said that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, brother, that is, first off, thank you, Adara, for sharing that story on here. Um, I know you shared a lot, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. Um, And so I I appreciate you sharing it uh, for sure. And what a powerful series of events. Um, And, you know, so uh, you said a number of things that struck me. One thing that you said was that uh, after she left you, that, that confirmed all of your insecurities. Yeah. That indeed, uh, they, people only liked you for your athletic abilities or because you were yeah. the star of the show. That yeah. that hit me particularly deep because that's something I've often thought. Like people only think that I'm funny, um, yep. and and that's all they care about me. They don't. That's all they know about me. That's all they want to know about me. Um, and yeah. a lot of my insecurities come from from some of those kinds of things of just like that narrative. Like people only care about me because of X. I think yeah. that's, that's something that I know resonated yep. with me in that moment. And um, 
it's the crutch mm-hmm. of the gifted. Mm-hmm. And um and, and and by the way, we can say all all that we want. We every you know, there's a reason why in high school they vote who's the most likely to succeed. You know, like I've got three children, they're all they all have equal love for me, but they don't all have equal talent. Mm-hmm. You know, and everyone knows it. And so I'm talking like when I talk about extremely gifted, I'm not saying one person has gifts and and the other person doesn't. What I'm saying is there is a level of talent like Whitney Houston who can sing like Whitney Houston. There's there's a lot of people who are gifted to sing, but not like Whitney, mm-hmm. you know, or insert your favorite singer, you know. And so there are levels to talent. And um, and when you're really gifted, uh, the crutch of the gifted is is that it's hard to know who likes you for you and who likes you for your gift. It is hard to detect it. Yeah. And some people are good at faking it. And then you're like, and because you're so desperate for love and, and then you let them in and then you find out like, Oh man, they really, they really weren't for me. They just like my gift. They like for, they like the way that I make them laugh. They like me to entertain for me. It was sports for somebody else watching. It might be whatever. And uh, man, that is a very lonely place to be. And um, I was desperately looking for somebody who loved me for me. And yeah, my family did. But in my mind, uh, they were supposed to. It was out of obligation, not out of uniqueness for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like dad loves me because I'm his son. Mom loves me because I'm her son. But like not because I'm cool or not because I'm funny or not because I'm like cool, to, like a great person to hang around, but literally just because I'm obligated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. so. Yeah, there's a lot going on there, man. But that's how I felt. Yeah, I've often, I've often, I think I've shared this on here before, but I've often said that I, I've, I have a number of, especially when I was in high school and middle school, I can think of this, and it's happened since then too. But I have these vivid dreams of my funeral happening and there not being anybody there except my parents who like had to show up, uh, right? Mm-hmm. And even my brothers are like there for a little bit and then they bounce, right? Um, right, right? right. And um, <clears throat> it is. Uh, yeah, I think the way that you put it, like the extremely gifted, they're uh, they're isolated in that. And how do they know who's yeah. being authentic? Who cares about their heart? Who cares about their accolades? Yeah. Uh, hey, you want to know a really cool cure for this? Great. Yep. All right. So watch this. Here's I'll tell you what we think the cure is, and I'll tell you what I what I want to say the cure. Um, I need a better word that, must, that doesn't make it seem like it's the only thing that works. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's a cure, not the cure. There we go. And so. Um, we tend to think that it is other people's responsibility, right? So in other words, um, Daryl thought that somebody need to stop asking me about sports and then ask me about Daryl, right? So I had a lot of anger at people who just wanted to say, hey, man, you know, what was it like to play with Antonio Brown instead of like, how's your life and family doing? Okay. Yeah. What I actually learned is that that wasn't the cure, that the cure was actually for me to be more vulnerable. Mm. Uh, it's about to get good now. Tell me more about that. <laughs> Vulnerability, my friend, is like a Batman signal for love. Mm-hmm. We all have a need to be desperately loved and accepted by other people, but we cannot be fully loved unless we are fully known, and vulnerability is the pathway to do that. I'll give you an example. 
What I desperately wanted was somebody to love me for me. What I desperately wanted was somebody to reach out and 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 wrap me in their arms and care about all the pain I was going through. The problem is that when I posted on social media, when I talked to people, I was just kind of going through it. The the I wasn't being vulnerable enough to attract a strong love signal. Mm. So the way that somebody responds to I'm just going through it, or I'm feeling down, or I'm, I don't know, I'm having a bad day is way different than the way that somebody responds to I don't know if I'll ever be fulfilled again in life. I really don't feel like being here anymore. A way different love response. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that love, but I wasn't sending that signal. Yeah. <laughs> this is good. I wish I would have known this because I'm sitting here beating myself up and and, and telling and, and mad at the world because they're not loving me right, not realizing that I'm not attracting and I'm not sending out the wrong side. I'm on the wrong. I want. I, I want. I'm on the wrong radio station. I'm tuning into the wrong channel. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when I started to be more vulnerable, I started to experience more love. And I'm not talking about trauma dumping. I'm talking about being honest and just allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough so people can love you. You know, even and this is hard. Just uh, tip more t- more so for men than it is for women. But anyone who has uh, built a shell around their trauma, it's very hard for them to communicate how they actually feel because trauma makes you um, feel as if your feelings don't matter. Right. And so my response to everything, James, was was anger. Mm. Right. That's how, you know, like if you if you if you said something to me, I was just going to get mad. Ah, I was mad at the world, mad at myself, mad at everybody. Ah, I didn't know how to say anything else. Even in my marriage, like first year in marriage, all I knew was anger. Everything was anger. You know, like my wife, like ma- made dinner too early. Ah, angry. You know, like she said she didn't want to go to this city and I wanted to go to that city like anger. When in reality, I had other emotions that I just didn't know how to describe because I had been oppressed and suppressed so much for so long. So I'll tell you what was more vulnerable than saying, hey, I'm mad. Leave me alone, sweetie. More vulnerable is this. Hey, you know what? The other day when you, you know, kind of cut me off while I was talking, that hurt my feelings. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That made me not feel valuable. It hurt. It just me saying that now is like, you know, like it's so much easier to do the less vulnerable thing. Yeah. But when I open myself up and I'm vulnerable, then man, and guess what happens? It's not a fight because I'm not sending a fight signal out. It's a call for love, <laughs> and it actually makes life better and our relationships more intimate. So if you're there and you're lonely, try being more vulnerable. What do you mean? I'm feeling down. I'm depressed. I'm, I don't even be more vulnerable. Exactly. Be more vulnerable because being angry is only going to attract an anger response. Mm-hmm. I rest my case. I rest my- <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to Daryl's third TED Talk. Um, I'm really excited to have him here. <laughs> Yeah. I know, that right? is uh that is the spe- vulnerability is the special sauce for mm-hmm. sure right because uh, i think like you were just saying anger begets anger yep. um vulnerability begets vulnerability and mm-hmm. it is 
extremely powerful for some reason in our society we've determined that vulnerability is a weakness but a vulnerability is such a weakness and why is it so damn hard right right it is easier to not ask for help than it is to ask for help it is easier to avoid and compartmentalize than it is to own and confront vulnerability in fact takes a ton of courage and in those moments like you were describing daryl those moments that you don't feel courageous. You don't think you deserve to be courageous uh, right. or, or anything like that is the exact moment when you need to turn it on. Now that's the exact moment. And that's, that is so hard to do. It's very easy for us to sit here and tell everybody to do that. It is way harder to do it in the moment. And, and you know that more than anybody based on the stories that you were just sharing. And yeah. so, um, but that vulnerability is, is incredibly powerful. And, and I love that you brought it up that, you know, it's a little bit harder for men, um, for sure. Um, I think men are taught to be internal processors. It's not that men are taught not to feel it's Mm -hmm. that they're taught to figure it out before they tell anybody about it. Um, right. And I think that is what is hurting men a lot. Hmm. Yeah. I moved into a Buddha pose. I can agree with that. (laughs) I was trying to, I was, I was trying to take it from men to me, um, to see if I was taught not to feel. Hmm. I yeah, know, I, I probably yeah. was. You think you were taught not to feel, not to show emotions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is possible. Especially yeah. the way, especially the way you I mean, grew up, kind of that idea of don't let, you know, don't let anybody see that they got to you, kind of mentality. Yeah, I mean, even in. And it's so funny. I just had a moment. Um, I just had a moment about parenting, but yeah, because I, I don't know how you were raised, but anytime I would cry or want to, you know, it's like stop being a crybaby. Like this is not a reason to cry. Like there was never like why are you crying? <laughs> it was just like whatever it is is not. It's not rational. You know, and, and and if your feelings were hurt, it had to be for a justified reason. Um, which there is an element of that that is important. Like, you know, don't be a crybaby, but at the same time, why not? Why not? Uh so what was the parenting yeah. moment that happened to you? I'm curious. You know, it's so funny. I, I talk about this sometimes and I'm like, dude, at the end of the day, like my parents were good people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But we all, all of us have mistakes. And so it sounds a little bit more traumatic than what it actually is. Or like, I don't want you to think that my parents were just terrible because they weren't, but my mom had me with, um, all right. So let, let me just be vulnerable for a second. Okay. <sighs> my mom had me uh, when she was in high school, a year after she had my brother who passed away. So I grew up thinking that I was second option, that the only reason why they had me is because they failed at my brother, D'Antoine. Okay. So I came in feeling rejected. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when my mom had me, she was a senior in high school. Dad was a freshman in college. Dad wasn't really as present as he could be because distance and he was in college. And then he was so busy with athletics, he didn't give me a lot of time. Um, he got hurt. Uh, and then because he um, never paid child support in college, he owed a lot of back child support. So my dad first started um, like having me stay at his house uh, 
in large part because he didn't want to pay as much child support, mm. which felt like I felt like I was an inconvenience because for mom, mom could never afford me and dad didn't want to afford me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the whole time I'm sitting here like nobody wants me. I'm an inconvenience. And uh, so so that that happened. And then anytime I would complain to to mom about mom, mom would complain about dad. And then everybody was it was a blame on everybody. And I never had the chance to voice my opinion because mom blamed everything on dad and dad blamed everything on mom. And I liked things about both of them. And I didn't like things about either of them. And so mm-hmm. like I, I couldn't I didn't have any place to say, mom, here's my issue with you. Because she would just bring up dad. And I couldn't say, dad, here's my issue with you because he would just blame it on mom. Terrible, 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 terrible. Okay, so I stayed a, a lot with grandma, and then in high school, I just like I stayed with dad, but I like I lived on the road. I stayed at people's house. I was like never home uh, because I was a roamer. I didn't feel wanted. So my point is, how I felt about that situation was never taken in equation. It was always a custody battle. It was always about money. It was never about what Daryl wanted. And I developed this subconscious belief that what I wanted was an inconvenience, right? Yeah, yeah. So take that into business and sales uh, as a as an entrepreneur now and a speaker. That stuff was getting in the way of my growth and my abundance, right? So even charging prices um, to my clients, I remember when I was I was charging like crap low prices, thinking it was a good thing. But when I looked at my subconscious belief that was driving my behavior. What I recognize is, is I thought that what I really wanted and what I really deserved to charge was an inconvenience to other people. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Just want to get, I got to get that out of there, man. You know? And so if you've ever had trouble like raising your prices, you probably have some deeper subconscious belief that you're not worth it. Mm-hmm. Or that if you are, you asking for it is an inconvenience to other people. That's a bad sales psychology to have. Hey, can I sell you something that's an inconvenience to you. Like no one really wants to do that as a good person. Yeah. So I had to break up that belief and know like, no, like selling at its highest form is actually serving. Right. And me asking for what I feel I'm valued at is not an inconvenience to other people. It's just the value of it. <laughs> and so I had to get rid of that negative energy in my, in my space to really start showing up in the same way with speaking, by the way. Like even now, I'm able to kind of like tell this story on this space. There was a time where I wouldn't say hardly any of this, not because I was afraid to, because I felt like it was an inconvenience. You ever hear people talk and say, I'm so sorry that took so long? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, sometimes it's true. Yeah, so, Telling so, a terrible story. Some people, be, some people need to be shortened <laughs> the stories. But when you're saying interesting, helpful, funny, entertaining stuff, no one is inconvenienced by that. They're like, give me more. And, mm-hmm. and to own that space is a worthiness issue. And I'm telling you, this is where our personal development industry is headed. All these people who are trying to avoid this mental health conversation, this love conversation, this vulnerable conversation. I'm telling you, you can't run from this curve for much longer. People are pe- coaches are realizing that they can have the best strategy. But if a person's mindset isn't there and their worth isn't there, it doesn't matter what you teach them. You always default back to the lowest level of your thinking. Mm -hmm. 
And so all this subconscious work and all this vulnerable stuff is getting infused into the personal development industry. And so, like, you can't run from this. It's going to be in your sales training. It's going to be, like, the core of your job. They might even have you take, uh uh-oh, a mental health examination as part of your organizational culture. How would that be? I want when athletes get physical examination for there to be a mental health examination, too. Hey, we keep drug screening people. How about we mental health screen people? Hey, I'll take a former inmate who passed the mental health test (laughs) before I'll take, uh, you know, somebody who's never done anything wrong but can't handle conflict well Mm -hmm. because it touches on the point of their trauma. Yeah. I rest my case. (laughs) It is... You got me warmed up, James. I'm good. I'm glad that we have good. We I know we're gonna get here. Um, and I'm, I'm food. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go get some hibachi after that. That is like a, a serious thing. I'm not joking. Hibachi. Oh yeah, no, please. I didn't think you were joking. You sounded very serious. That was probably the most serious point in this con. This conversation we had actually is probably hibachi. I think it's gotten very goofy since then. Um, <laughs> the um, the fact that you're talking about self-worth and that coaches need to talk about self-worth and not all these, all these tools, all these tips, all these seven ways to get to blank, blank and blank are all crap until we talk about self-worth. I could not be any more agreement with. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's where do you fall on Maslow's hierarchy of needs? And if you are still down there needing safety and security, Mm -hmm. um, then you're always going to resort back to, pricing yourself at a place where people won't say no and you'll be yeah. able to get some money in the door kind of thing. Right. It's something that I struggle yeah. with for sure. I, I, one of my fears in life is that I'm a burden to other individuals. And so when I engage in sales, I almost, I don't wor- I've worked a lot on this, but I almost like start with an apology, right? Like, Hey, I'm sorry, yeah. but uh, you know, we got to talk about money now. I know it's weird. I'm really sorry. It's uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would start the sales conversation, say the sales portion of the conversation with an apology. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I completely yeah. agree with you. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> And I, I told, I just, I mean, I just told you, I, I did the same thing for so many, mm-hmm. so many, and even in speaking, I would start out my, my speech apologizing for everything, like, oh, and, and then making excuses, you know, like, like, oh, I'm not, I, I don't really like to speak in front of people, sorry, you know, like, sorry, sorry, and I'm like, who wants to start out with all, the, hey guys, I know you're getting ready to listen to me speak, but I don't really like this or enjoy, you know, and <laughs> it was just so much insecurity, man, oh my gosh, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's life is so much better without it. And there's still areas that I'm working through. Um, so, so sometimes it's like a, a wall that you chip at. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times it is something that can be completely removed. And, and there are things that take bigger chunks out of the wall than others. Right. And it just depends on who you are. Yeah. Um, I think experiences is one of the fastest ways. So there's people that, okay. Um, so I was talking about how you get rid of the fear of public speaking, right? And, 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 um, there's a bunch of mindset stuff. Like I'm worthy. My voice matters. Like all this stuff that helps, right? Like declarations, affirmations, meditations, all that stuff works for me, for me. Um, it was like chipping at a big giant wall with a knife. 
-hmm. Like it was always getting better, but I had to keep doing it, keep doing it, still struggling. I tell you what jackhammered the wall. What jackhammered the wall um, was 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 two things. Uh, number one, I was I was really struggling, and I reached out to uh, a friend. Uh, his name's Jonathan Josephs, and I said, "Man, here's how I feel. I feel all these amazing speakers that I get to speak with, and I feel like like I'm just the follow up act. Like I'm like nobody listened to this guy. They're just waiting for the the real speaker, or you know, or if I came after it, I just like it was like energy level ten, energy level two." And which honestly, sometimes was really the case, right? But but he said to me, he said, because I knew he he I saw him speak in a lineup um, after a great communicator, and I was like, how'd you handle that? You know, and he said, Daryl, I used to struggle with that. And he said, but then I realized something. My goal is not to be impressive. My goal is to be helpful. Mm. And when I try to impress, in my mind, I'm not so sure I can do it. But when I try to be helpful, I'm pretty sure I can help people. And, and, and the way he said that, like, because you, if you were to quiz me and say, Daryl, why do you speak? I say to make an impact in the lives of other people. But when I actually spoke, I was up there to impress. So I was trying to get something rather than to give. I was trying to get affirmation, get get um, validation rather than give it. Okay. And so when I got up there and I said, man, instead of me thinking about how do I say this? How do I impress? How do I use rhetoric? What if I just say, Daryl, do you have something helpful to say? Yeah, you do. And it and it was like a jackhammer, like boom, big chunk of the wall going. The other yeah. thing is an actual experience, experience, hands-on, right? Speaking, making an impact. So I, I went out there and one day um, I had did this youth conference and there's about 20 or so. There's like the youth conference have like 150, 200 people there, but there's like 20 or so people that wait in line to say, thank you, sir, for doing a great job or whatever you made an impact. And way at the end of the line, the very last girl in the line, she's this 14-year-old girl. She's frail. She's got on her soccer clothes. It was a soccer camp. And she comes up to me and she goes, uh, she's shaking. And she's like, Daryl, I just want to say thank you so much for your speech. It meant so much to me. And I'm like, yeah, 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 thank you. you're welcome. You know, I'm like, I'm tired. Like, you know, but I read like this girl's about to like break down. I'm like, oh no. And uh she says, uh, my parents, sorry. She says, my parents dropped me off last year at the orphanage. And they said they didn't want me anymore. Mm-hmm. And she said, I've been cutting myself. And she pulls up uh, this wristband. You can see the cuts on her wrist to deal with the pain because I felt like whatever I did, I deserved to be in pain. And she said, I never have told anyone about this, but it was something about hearing your story today that gave me the strength to be vulnerable about my struggle. Damn. Damn. Jackhammer. Yeah. Crush the wall. I wrap this girl like in my arms. I cry like a baby. The great, the best part of the story is there was a counselor, um, not counselor, uh, like camp counselor. So like staff uh, that was part of Operation Christmas Child. She had been to 14 different orphanages in her life. She was able to like spend two hours with this young girl. But I'm telling you, that young girl, like I don't even remember her name. She changed my life. Yeah. Because that was a that was like any like the if the wall was half um up, I almost said erected, it's a weird word. But if the, if the wall was half built after that that first jackhammer being helpful, this destroyed it. And now there was only crumbles. Like, and I'm like, man, this is what it's about. This is not just a thought of like, okay, Daryl, remind yourself to be helpful. Remind yourself to be helpful. This is an experience that shows you are. And I'm telling you, 
it changes it. So when you start breaking uh, these subconscious beliefs, you have to get out there and create experiences that validate the truth that you know that you're rewiring your mind. Okay. In the sales conversation, charge what you're worth, James. And when you do it and somebody pays you for it and then watch this, thanks you for paying you more. It's like, it's gone. It's gone. You can only do so much declaration. Send me a check. (laughs) 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 God. (laughs) All right. I'm done. Daryl, that story. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm got welled up over here myself. Uh, that is, a, what a, what a moment that you were able to create uh, to spark the vulnerability of this beautiful young girl, uh, who, 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 I don't know. Um, it's funny also how sometimes the people who change our lives the most, we can't, we don't even know their names. They were just, they were the right person, right time, right message. Um, not that he was even you know, necessarily for you in that moment. Right. But we yeah. can't, um, it's, uh, it is, it is outrageous. Now, I mean, I also, I love something that you said, um, that you said your, your speaker buddy said to you that really resonates with me in a way that I now need to reflect deeper on is it's my, my goal is not to be impressive. It's my goal to be helpful. And mm. I think, as I'm sitting here chewing on that, not liking how it tastes at all. Thank you. Um, but I, I, uh, wash it down with a bocce later. I'm 100% going to happen. Double yum, yum back in the building. Get your dollars out. Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, but I, there are times where like, I so desperately want to be seen as wise or as intelligent. Um, and it, so much so that it gets in the way of whether or not I made an impact or was helpful or was anything, right? It's like, yeah, cool. I helped you. I know I can do that. It's it's almost like when somebody tells me I'm funny, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm funny, but like, aren't I also a good listener? Aren't I also this, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, I was helpful, but like, aren't I also like deeply wise and intelligent, right? It's so, uh, our, our inability, my inability, um, to, just appreciate the gifts that we have and the opportunities that we can create for folks that is something is something that often I don't enjoy and sit in the moment of because I'm chasing something else. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it causes me to miss that moment. So uh, here's, I, I got two more questions for you. For um, one is that, you know, we talked about the tenacity earlier and where that tenacity came from. Have you refound that tenacity? Did it go anywhere for, for entrepreneurship, for the help that you now do in the mental health space and the coaching and the speaking? Like, is that, is that tenacity still alive and well? And, and how does it show up? I think, yeah, I, I'm still a pretty hard worker and competitive. And like, if you, if you to this day, you know, if you, if you really want to see some of my best, like, tell me I can't, you know, like, so, so there's, there's definitely an element of that, but I I honestly think that love is a a greater motivator than fear Mm. and more uh, potent than my work ethic or drivenness uh, that came from oppression is now my drivenness that is motivated and fueled by love. 
and it's almost the the example of the the mom or the grandma who can lift the weight of a car because it's on the leg of her grandchild you know what i mean yeah yeah sure and it's kind of, it's kind of like you know when i think about that girl that made an impact on my life when i think about people who are suffering who if they just knew one thing that i knew or learned along the way <clears throat> that 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 pulls out a lion in me that's ready to war yeah Let's get to work. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I love that. I love that. Daryl, here's the last thing that I want to talk to you about. And this is a much lighter question. Um, but you had uh, you had a book that came out, uh, you know, in late in late 2020. And uh, I'm excited. I just I just picked up a copy of it. It's on it's on the way. I didn't I didn't know you when the book came out. So I can't be held accountable for what happened before I knew you. Funny, um, <laughs> Dungy didn't send me my copy. So um, uh, that's funny. <laughs> Um, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about your book, Who Am I After Sports, and yeah. where people can get it? Yeah, so <clears throat> Who Am I After Sports, an athlete's roadmap to discover new purpose and live fulfilled, is for anyone who is in transition and trying to figure out how to fall in love with their future more than they were in love with their past. So if you've been through a divorce and you're trying to figure out if you can ever find love again, if you are a former military veteran, if you got laid off during the pandemic, if you are an executive who was working at your company for 40 years and you're retired trying to figure out if your future will be more fulfilling in your past, this book is going to help you. The examples I use, the stories I tell is uh, about athletes, and that's because that is my experience. But the principles are transferable to where you're at. It's the reason why someone like Jack Canfield, who never really played sports, endorsed the book because he believes in that material. So the way that the book is laid out is it is my it starts with uh, my story of when I when I was in the psychiatric unit, some of that you heard. Mm -hmm. And then I say what happened is, you know, <clears throat> that I uh, try to take my life. The core of the book is the transition roadmap. And it is first accept. This is about how do you. Uh, really get over your grief. Uh, the second is believe. It's all about mindset. If you don't believe, you will not achieve. Okay. The third is discovery. It's probably people's favorite chapter. It is uh, 22 or more uh, purpose discovery questions that help you find your highest, most unique purpose. So uh, it's based upon research that I did for three to five years on like everything on purpose, meaning identity. So Accept, believe, discover. The fourth is pursue. This is all like the success habit stuff, the goal setting, the, the 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 habits that help me to become an elite athlete is what helped me to be successful in my life beyond sports. It's what helps anyone to be successful in whatever endeavor that they choose. Okay, so we got to accept, believe, discover, pursue. And then the last um, step <clears throat> is persist. It's all mental health. This is so you don't burn out on the altar of success. Okay. And so it's all about disciplines, habits, routines that help you with your mental health. Make sure that you're good while you go and live out your life. And then the last chapter I say is what really happened. And I tell the more full story of what happened in the psychiatric unit. You get to hear a little bit more about that. So if you want to get the book, head over to DarylStinson.com. Uh, you you can. There's a place where you can buy it there. Um, reach out to me on social. I'll be happy to send you a link. Um, I'm actually giving it away for free now. So sorry that you bought it. <laughs> you wow. can buy it directly from Amazon. It's like 12, 
12 bucks or something plus shipping. Um, but I do have a free plus shipping option now that you thankful some smart people came up, figured out how to do that for me. And so now you go to lifeaftersportsbook.com, lifeaftersportsbook.com. And then you can get the book for free. You got to pay for shipping, um, but it's just standard shipping rates. And and literally, it's not like $15.99. Like it's literally free. <laughs> so go for it. That's awesome. Uh, I love it. And uh, I also, I, I, I love, I always love whenever I ask somebody about their book or about something that they got coming up uh, that is as successful as you are, uh, Daryl, because the switch flips and the pitch starts and the conversation, the tone is it's locked brother. And it's just, it's amazing because, and I don't, I don't, I don't say that to knock you. Uh, I say that, uh, to admire the the proficiency uh, at which you spoke about it, and uh, yeah, man, it's it's just awesome, right? And you can tell it's something you deeply care about. Um, it's something I deeply care about, yeah. and it's something that I recognize that uh, people's lives are sometimes people's lives being changed are dependent upon the way that I communicate about it. Mm-hmm. So the switch flips because now I'm motivated motivated by what the way Come that on. people care about it. Oh no! Come on, motivated. It's not fear. It's what. <laughs> Love. Love. I'm motivated by love now. <laughs> and so love compels me to share it in a way that's concise because I recognize that the brain will gravitate towards simplicity. So yeah. if I run on for too long or I don't give you stopper points like I did, then you won't get something that could potentially change your life. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why I do it. I love it. Sales. <laughs> that's just sales. It's beautiful, brother. It's beautiful. Daryl, I'm so pumped that we got to kick it here in the diner. I can't wait to see on your social media your uh what, what's going on with your hibachi run later. I want to know all about it. Uh and uh thank you so much. Uh, I'm grateful that this little weird app of Clubhouse brought us together, but the speaking world will keep us together. And I look forward to seeing you on the road, man. Likewise, man. Keep keep crushing it, bro. Appreciate it. Let's go. Y'all, that was my boy Daryl Stinson hanging out here in the diner. What an incredible conversation. I love I loved when his brain just started going and he just started talking and spitting all these truths, but also he made me think a lot. I hope he made you think a lot today too because there was a lot of really wise things that were said by him and just a powerful story and a powerful testimony. So thank you so much again to Daryl for joining and thank you for kicking it in the diner booth with us, my friends. Until the next time we get to kick it, feel free to keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. (laughs) If you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) Also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.